0: Pastor Mike here from Time of Grace. Uh, super excited to be with you today as uh, we talk about some upcoming topics of immense importance on uh, the Time of Grace TV program. And uh, if that wasn't enough to get you excited to listen, I am blessed to be joined today not by our regular host, Dr. Bruce Becker, our guest today, Amber L. V. Swenson. You might know Amber from her Time of Grace podcast called Little Things. Uh, I know I subscribe to that, listen to it every Sunday. Uh, You might know her as a Time of Grace writer and contributor. Uh, Amber, welcome. And uh, for people who don't know you just yet, why don't you give us a a one-minute quick get-to-know-you crash course?
1: Um, Yeah, Christian mom. I have four children. I have older teen and young adult children right now, so I will take all the prayers you have. Um, (laughs) Married 24 years. Been teaching Bible studies, writing Bible studies, speaking for about 15, 16 years now. interested and involved in studying the Bible with all sorts of Christians and um, love the Lord. So happy to be here with you. Yeah, thank you very much.
0: Um, I'm really excited to talk to you. Some pretty, pretty serious topics we're tackling on the Time of Grace um, TV program, and I thought you put together some really insightful questions to dig a little bit deeper. So let me pass the baton to you and take it away.
1: Thank you very much. Um, one of the things that I've really appreciated about your ministry, I love the Tough Questions with Pastor Mike series, and I love the fact that you're willing to talk about some pretty difficult topics and situations. And your congregation really embraces this. Why did you want to talk about abuse? Hmm.
0: Yeah, it's a. I sometimes joke that I'm the worst pastor to do a funeral because my, my default setting is to quote dumb and dumber in you know two out of every three conversations I have. So I'm just a, you know, giggly, goofy, immature kind of guy. So it's, it's actually been weird to see how God has used the more serious stuff in my ministry, I think, to do more good than I would have expected. Um, so the, it's a bit uncomfortable for me at times, but what I've kind of seen is that when God gives us courage to talk about the difficult stuff, people talk back and they tend to say things like, I've been going to church for 22 years and I've been through that and I've never heard anyone open a Bible and talk about it. And that becomes so, you know, as painful as some of the stories are to realize, wow, there are faithful people of God who, who have just been coming searching for healing in the church for decades. But because some things are taboo, the healing never happens. And because we don't talk about it here, people just assume there's something so broken about them that they really, really don't belong. So I I think that's why we wanted to dive into the deep end. Like, hey, if you've been through this, you're not the only one. God loves you. We love you. Many of us have been through this. And like, man, once we start that conversation, the number of people who talk back like this boomerang effect is just profound.
1: And I appreciate that you said that you're even a little bit uncomfortable with it. And and you mentioned at the beginning of this series that you know I might not even get it all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, I probably don't have all the answers, and I probably don't know everything that I should, and I may even say something that's a little wrong. And so I just appreciate that you have that humility going in into this this topic. Yeah, thank you. So, so what much. would you say to the person who right now is already saying, "Yee, that's that's really deep. It's really uncomfortable." yeah, I'm just not going to listen for the next three weeks. I'm just going to tune out or four weeks, whatever it takes for this abuse series to air. What would you say to that person?
0: Yeah. Is it someone who's been through abuse? That's like nervous about being triggered or just someone who's a little bit freaked out about the topic.
1: Talk to both.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would just as much compassion as I could muster for the former. Like my, my brain just hasn't been there what I've learned about trauma and PTSD, like, I, I get it. To be in a very public space, like a church, to talk about it, um, I, I get it. And we actually said that as I was preaching, like, hey, if, if you just want to watch at home, if you want to take it at your own pace, if you need to be in a quiet, private place to not worry about people seeing your reaction, that, God, God bless you. Um, to the person who says, wow, I don't come to church to hear about stuff like abuse, I would say... Uh, There was once a guy traveling from Jerusalem to to Jericho, and he was attacked along the road. And a religious man saw him, and he passed by on the other side. Like, yeah, hopefully people know. Uh, That's not my story. So Jesus says, I mean, what is the point of all this? Is it to come to church and, hey, we get to sing our favorite hymns and worship songs, and wow, that really helped me be a better fill-in-the-blank Like, no, for for Jesus, this was about loving God and loving people. And if statistically massive amounts of people have been deeply wounded and just left there, it is our privilege and blessing and duty to slow down, get our hands dirty, take the coins out of our pocket, take the time out of our day and love those who need loving.
1: I am so glad you just used the word trigger. Because some older people might not even know what you are talking about when you say the word "trigger, but it's sort of a catchphrase in our day. Could you just explain that for someone who maybe you said you're triggered what what are you talking about?
0: Yeah, so I've learned kind of how the brain processes trauma that there are certain words or phrases or you know things that were connected to the original abuse that Almost makes your brain go back. You know, maybe for us, you smell like freshly baked banana bread, and you can like picture the kitchen where you grew up, and you 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 get back there, right?
1: You just did that to me right now. My mom baked banana bread all the time. It just (laughs) happened. That instantly happened. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So a trigger can be a good thing of a good memory, but your your body, like I've had women say, like when you said this. I could, like, smell the scent of the man who hurt me, right? Um, I remember one woman, she she was just through just unbelievable trauma. And I didn't know, I, I was trying to be friendly. She had her back to me once in church, and I just said hello to her. And, like, having her back and hearing a man's voice was just so equated with her abuser, you know, coming at her as she tried to run away. And so I had to learn, you know, for her in particular, like, hey, she has to see me first. Then I can say hi and be friendly. Um, There's just stuff I, I, I can't fathom that I haven't been through, but the brain stores it and remembers it. So I don't think people are being soft or weak. It's just one of the many terrible realities of life if you've been through trauma and abuse.
1: I think that's why this series in particular is so important. I think you just touched on something because I've listened to your messages, because I've been diving in this to do other podcasts about abuse. I was just in a Bible study this um, Tuesday night. I was leading a Bible study. We were talking about the end of the Old Testament. And I was talking about Nehemiah and how the good things he did in leadership. And a woman stopped me and she said, can we talk about the bad parts of Nehemiah? And I said, You bet. What do you want to talk about? And she said, How about when he pulled the hair out of the men's beards and he beat the men? It's in Nehemiah chapter 13. And she said, That's not okay. And that had triggered something in her that she needed to bring it up. And thank God that I have been dealing with this um, topic and have been getting educated. And I said, "You are absolutely right. Nehemiah had a lot of great characteristics and traits, but the great thing about the Bible is God didn't whitewash the people he used. He yeah. put in uh David's affair, he put in Peter's denial, great men of the Lord, but he he let us know that they were also sinful and And I think for Bible teachers and pastors to be aware." Of triggers is a pretty important thing as we're teaching the Bible, as we're preaching, as we're even, like you said, just mingling with people in the congregation to know, guys, be aware.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. Okay. So if we can't avoid the hard stuff, we can't just totally uh, avoid abuse. We're going to have to deal with it. Um, Were you surprised at all by the statistics when you looked them up? One out of four women, one out of seven men say that abuse impacts their life. Surprising to you?
0: Uh, It really was. Yeah. I mean, having studied it, I just wanted to go back and to apologize to my parents for everything, (laughs) you know, like in my definition of, of childhood trauma was when mom and dad didn't buy me the Nintendo 64 the week when it came out. You know, and what I thought were like, oh, the hard parts of what I had been through, it was just, you know, nothing. And then to read the data, you know, one in four women and to realize when I sit down at dinner, uh, I, the three people I love the most besides the father, son and spirit are all female. So I'm looking at my wonderful wife, Brooklyn Maya, the daughters that I adore and to, th- to think statistically. Like, oh, God, God, deliver us from that evil and and may the women in my life never have to go through that. And when it becomes that personal, right? Stats are are dry and they're distant and they're cold. But when you start looking at, you know, your Bible study and to think, hey, if there's only 12 women here at a small group Bible study, three of them have been through this. If I'm at a church of 100 people, 50 of them are women. You know, it's a, a dozen, 13 at least, that have been through this. So for me, at least, data is really helpful. Cause I'll just use the data to crunch the numbers for a group of people I care about. And then suddenly I start caring much, much more about the topic itself.
1: So true. I was surprised at those statistics too. That's, that's tough. But like you said, it's so important for us to know the definition of abuse is really important. Can you please explain what that is?
0: Yep. Yeah. So I, I kind of took the official definition from uh, those who deal with this on a day-to-day basis. Uh, they defined uh, abuse as a pattern So not just something that happens, you know, in one unfortunate, sinful, emotional moment. It's a pattern of behavior that uses fear or force. So it could be force, physical, I'm stronger, I'm controlling you, I'm hitting you. Or it could be psychological. I use my words, finances, the relationship to to make you so afraid to maintain power and control. So in the end, I want to control you. I want to get what I want. It might be sex, it might be to keep you in this relationship, it might be to get you to do what so I don't have to do it. So you put it together a pattern of behavior that uses fear or force to maintain power and control. That's the official definition of abuse.
1: Yeah, wow. We tend to think of the really extreme situations that we hear on the news. You know, the child who died of of child abuse, of physical violence. Or maybe we've seen movies that have shown just these extreme cases of abuse. But the truth is that it actually usually starts very mildly and then grows. A lot of times people aren't going to get into a, a relationship with someone who treats them abusively right off the bat. Hmm. You, one of the big takeaway for, takeaways for me in your first message was about the abusive voice. You gave a statistic that just really um, hit me. Can you share that statistic and just talk a little bit about it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I, forgive me for not fact-checking this, but uh, when I was a brand new pastor, there was this really gifted guy on the, the west side of Madison, Wisconsin, and uh, he had said it was about criticism in ministry. And he had read a study that said the brain, the brain kind of looks at just the sum total of criticism instead of the number of individual people who are being critics. And so he said, you know, if you have just one person who like every sermon nitpicks your words and they do it Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, that adds up. And it, you know, 50 Sundays in a row, it feels like a 50. And he said the brain kind of thinks that's the same as 50 different people sending you one email. And when I thought about that with abuse, it's like, you know, everyone else in your life could say, hey, you're so great. We love you. You're valuable. God loves you. But if you're going home every day to a father, to a girlfriend, to a spouse, you know, whatever, who is just saying you're worthless, you can never be in a relationship, you're useless, look at you being stupid again. And like, they have your ear more than anyone else. Your brain starts to think, everyone believes this. Everyone thinks this about me, so I should think it about myself.
1: And I think the power for us hearing that is that means that everyone listening has a role. Because we all have the power to negate that abusive voice. If, I, I mean, I can't even imagine, like you said, the damage of living with someone who constantly puts you down, you don't do anything right, who is constantly yelling negative into you. Mm. So the church has something, something yeah. to say here, pretty important, all of us.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I never thought about that. Like, I never thought of the positive side, where if you're super encouraging and you use your words to, to build people up, and you're like on repeat, like you could almost negate, you could personally negate 10 critics by just like being that person who's positive with their words.
1: There was a study done uh, at Harvard actually, Harvard Business School, I think, that if you want to get the most out of people, it's that positive reinforcement. And it's six times to one negative comment. But I think when I hear The power of that abusive voice, what it does to me, my call to action right there, just from that one statistic is that I want to make sure that with every woman that I meet, with every person that I'm in contact with, man, woman, or child, I can tell them how loved they are by God. I can encourage them. I can make sure that when they leave my conversation, I am saying, I'm so glad I saw you today. I am thankful to have a chance to chat with you. Um, And even you know, with the elderly, I I was an elderly companion for years. And you know, the power of a smile to um, push away the isolation, you know, we do have a role, we can, um, we can each do something for all the people around us.
0: I'm not sure if you've heard me mention this, I, I did a study of the New Testament, and found out in the New Testament, when God is speaking to his children to Christians, for every one time, he calls us a sinner, nine times he calls us A saint, holy, loved, delightful, treasured, chosen. You know, God is literally working off a nine to one basis with sinful people like us. So it's almost like he knew the statistic. (laughs) I don't know how he figured that out before the Harvard study was done.
1: And then he didn't even do the six to one. He went even above and beyond, just like God, like six isn't good enough. I'm going nine to one. Okay, your second message addressed the abuser, and you said something, and you just said it in passing, and of course, my ears perked up, and I think that a lot of other women who hear this, their ears are going to perk up too, because you said, despite the abuse of your pastor, and there are so many women, I talk to them consistently, and it, it may not be a pastor, it may be a man in the congregation who was leading a certain um, group or or subset of whatever that they were working with, um, and they never physically laid a hand on a on a woman. They never even used a Bible passage and said, "You have to do things this way because." But systematically, that pattern of behavior pattern systematically, um, they've controlled some women in the congregation by shutting them down or they give them a task and then when they don't do it exactly the way they wanted to they just go and redo it or or when a woman brings up an idea and says, "Hey, let's look at this" and they just put her down because maybe it's overwhelming or they don't know quite how to deal with it. There's a lot of hurt with women in our churches. What would you say if you could talk to the women in our churches who have been Hurt by their pastor or hurt by a man in leadership in their congregation. Hmm.
0: Wow. Oh man, I yeah. Where do I start with that? I'm sorry is where I would start. Um, be quick to listen because that just hasn't been my lived experience. You know, I've I wasn't super involved in church growing up, but I, I had a good relationship with my pastor and. And then I became a church leader. So, you know, I just I I haven't been there. So I would want to absorb just kind of the emotion and the details of what that is. Um, Then I think I'd open my Bible to Psalm 34, that God is close to the brokenhearted, that sometimes it's our significant others, sometimes it's our parents, and sometimes it's even church leaders or pastors who prove that they are not God, and they prove it in very specific and hurtful ways. so I would want to know you to know that even if the, the church has not drawn near to you in love, that God draws near to people in love. Um, I think third, I'd want to reaffirm 1 Timothy 3 says to be a pastor. Um, you can't have a, a pattern of being violent, but you have to be gentle. It's an interesting word. We probably don't think of that as a massive leadership characteristic. You know, bold, dynamic speaker, great leadership gifts, courage to stand up for the gospel— an evangelist, oh uh, yeah, he must be, there's the word in First Timothy 3, he must be gentle. So, no, your, your pastor might not take every idea you have and run with it. Leadership is complicated that way. But if, if he's not gentle with you, if, if you're afraid to bring things up to him, th- that is a serious, like, biblical leadership question, right? Um, I just read a book. It sold, uh, uh, it sold 1.5 million copies in the last year on the Christian market. So the book, uh, I'm not sure if you've read it, is called Gentle and Lowly. Um, And it's based off of, in Matthew 11, it's the only time that Jesus ever tells us what his heart is like. And he says, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You know, so if the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who is so passionate about all these truths... Said, hey, if there's one thing you need to know about my heart is that it's gentle, then those of us who stand up front or preach or teach or lead, if we want to be like Jesus, like women and children were not scared to talk to Jesus.
1: And I love just the fact that gentle is one of my favorite words. It is strength restrained. So it is having the strength, but not using it all. And so for a man to be gentle is incredibly wonderful, because you may have the strength to um, beat someone up with your words, but you are gentle enough to not use that characteristic or that trait. Yeah. I think one of the hard things maybe about if it is a leader in the church who has hurt a woman in some way is that you can't go to your pastor or to another male leader to get the counseling that you might otherwise get if you were in a situation where you wanted that comfort from the gospel. And I think that's a particularly difficult piece of this, is that if a woman's been hurt by someone in the church, a leader of some sort, or and then you go to the the pastor and you say, hey, this is happening, and the pastor's good friends with this guy, and he can't imagine that this guy would ever do that. Or maybe he says something to his buddy, you know, like, hey, you need to tone it down a little bit or whatever, but it keeps happening. Then where do you go? You know, and that's, that's one of the hard parts about this.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree with man that you're, you're describing a messy, complicated situation. Um, as much as I sometimes lament that there's 150 some churches in the, the medium sized city where I live, you know, sometimes if things can't be reconciled, if someone's not gentle, if they don't have a humble heart to listen like you 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 can't follow a spiritual leader that hurts you and doesn't care right so if
1: oh absolutely
0: if you've done what you can i mean there's no shame in finding another shepherd who has a heart like jesus
1: yeah excellent so what would you say then i mean i think you've kind of hit this um to the men leading in the church i mean i think with the first timothy passage you sort of said it but any other thoughts? I think a lot of times the men in the congregation or 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 maybe a pastor doesn't even see it as harmful if they're ultra controlling. they might even think they're type A and doing a great job, and they're structurally yeah. like really on top of things and yep so how would you address that person that's listening that might not have ever thought of this before I-
0: so you can tell me after I, I make this next comment if uh, I need to change my thinking here. And our our producer can edit this out if it, <laughs> if it does more harm than help. So my wife and I had this conversation the other day about like me and the guys when we're going through stuff. And she and other women when they're going through stuff. Some women like there were just a lot of words that were not good and godly. And I said... Like, Kim, am I missing something? I, I can't imagine getting together with the, the, like, say, the pastors at our church and speaking like that about people. Like, I, I'm trying to think of any conversation where we just like vent and make fun of people because they were complicated and messy. But then I thought, I, I play in a co ed soccer league, and the, the women on our team are so frustrated that we guys, we like scream at each other, we call each other inappropriate names. We yell at each other publicly, like we'll throw fists. And then five minutes later, we're fine. And so uh, that's a stereotype, right? Not every woman's like that, not every guy's like this. But
1: but you hit something huge, you absolutely did.
0: It is, and so maybe guys, when we're frustrated, we don't smile and nod and then go home and just like vent to our spouse. You know, we we might explode with anger And then a woman becomes afraid because her pastor is not gentle or a church leader isn't gentle. So, I mean, there's some pretty complicated dynamics by the way that we often negatively, you know, deal with emotions and what kind of temptations the devil knows works on him or her or them.
1: The other thing is that um, the whole idea of a man can say something in a meeting very flippantly and move on. And like you said, some of his other guys would be like, ha, 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 you know, because you guys can call each other. Well, that was a stupid comment. Or you can say that you can move on. But when yeah. you say that to the woman in the room, it, yeah. it, it's taken very differently. And which is why I think what you said is so huge, because when you're talking to a group of other guys, you, you can be rough with each other. And, and you guys don't take it to heart. You're like, you laugh it off. You move on. Whereas a woman will dwell there those words will go into her head, her heart, it'll keep coming back up. And, and so I think that's a very important thing for men to be aware of.
0: Yeah, that's that's really helpful for you to say. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking of my a friend of mine, he just stopped by. He's like, uh, yeah, my buddy said to the other to me the other day, hey, you're getting fat and going bald. What are you going to do about that? Like I asked my wife, like, has a woman ever said something
1: like that to any other woman? No, no, we will not. Absolutely. In fact, we will tell our women friends when they say to me, you know, Hey, I'm really gaining weight. I'm like, girl, we all are. We're middle-aged. Like you are beautiful inside and out. Don't you put that down? Like you are so much more. So no. So I think, I think this is really key. I think just the way we speak and and being aware of, um, you know, the beautiful way that the, uh, the Lord made a woman's heart to, um, you know, Mary pondered all these things in her heart. It doesn't say that about Joseph. You know, I, I think it's so important that men are aware of the words that they choose and the things that they pass by so quickly that can do so much damage to a woman in the church walls. You know, and, and, and they never think of it again. And that woman is so wounded and they're thinking, why is she even still upset about that? Like, that was nothing. I said I was sorry. Well, because it's in her heart.
0: That is helpful. I'm, I'm going to take that away from this conversation. So thank you.
1: Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for being willing to talk about it. So, Pastor Mike, is it possible that by the def- definition of abuse that you use that um, pattern of behavior that controls um, that a church leader can be abusive and not even realize that they're being abusive to the women or maybe even another man in the congregation.
0: Um, yeah, short answer, yes. But, you know, probably the if it's fear or force, you know, the the physical, the force, the raising your your hand kind of thing or putting your hands on someone, that's probably more obvious. But because fear is an, etern- an internal thing. I should say, I might not know if I'm making you afraid by the way I carry myself, by the way I speak to you. So, yeah, that, you know, it's always wrong, it's always bad. But I, I can definitely see a situation where I don't know how I'm coming off to you. I think I'm just being me, but I'm actually making you afraid to speak up and kind of controlling your words. So, I think there's a lot of humility, honesty like, hey, Pastor, you might not have meant this, but when you said A, I instinctively felt B. And I have a hunch as my pastor, you don't want me to feel B.
1: Um, You mentioned something in the sermon, the second message that you had, uh, which you were talking to the abuser, that you had said something that you had never said ever before in counseling. And it really made me aware of the responsibility that we all have, because we all have the responsibility, whether we're a. Sunday school teacher in charge of children or um, a parent at a playground with kids or just living our lives in our living room. Um, I won't say what you said to this man in counseling, but you basically were able to put an abuser in his place. How important is this that we take this responsibility that we all have seriously?
0: Oh, Huge. You know, you think of Jesus, the woman caught in the act of adultery, and he has to be the one who just, like, by himself is standing up to a, a crowd of manipulative, one-sided sinful men. Um, So, you know, the statistics are true. The church is not an exemption to where abuse happens. So when we see those signs, like Galatians 1, is it verse 10? If I were trying to please people, I could not be a servant of God. So I'm here to stand up on God's side for love, for gentleness, for people feeling safe. Um, And if if I see that you're dangerous and people are walking on eggshells, like, man, the people pleaser in me wants to just uh, make a joke about it and hope you're different. But man, if if there's some things I catch you doing in public, just imagine when it happens in private.
1: I have a teacher friend who said that, um, you know, we've been doing distance learning for a year here in Minnesota, and she has commented on the things that she has heard behind the scenes in homes. And she said, you know, if if that's being said when there's a camera on and so they kind of know they have to know, she said, what in the world is taking place when the camera's off? And what if and and going back to that you know the power of the abusive voice, what if you are the one person that stands up for that person what the the one person who has it in your power and God mm. has given you that power, God has given you that authority? What if you don't speak up you know to allow that to happen? so I think that's that's huge, and that brings us to the third message, which was a word to the church. You know, whatever kind of abuse that people suffer, uh, there's almost always spiritual ramifications. How so? Oh. Yes, because whenever.
0: I mean, imagine you you had been through the trauma and you came to church for 22 years and you heard about all the you know, every fourth sermon, the pastor said, don't get drunk. And once every two to three weeks, maybe every week, there's something about sexual morality. But you could you could go literally a year without any talk of violence, manipulation, fear-mongering, controlling people, slander. Like, th- that has to leave an impression. Like, the, the greatest emotional need I have, this place does not meet. So, like, <laughs> if you... <laughs> If you hurt my daughter, you could not have a good relationship with her father. So uh, just having a clear message. Like we, we believe in God the Father and he is very protective of his sons and daughters. And we are too. We, we might not know of it. We might not hear every word that's spoken. But here's where we stand. Here's where Jesus stood. And if, if we hear that this is going on, we will do everything in our power to keep people safe because Jesus was gentle and lowly in heart. And we're trying to imitate him.
1: Yeah, and and to just have the the balm that that person is looking for, and and to have it available to you. And I have to say, I've never heard a a sermon on abuse. I don't think ever. So which is why this is so huge. And I'm so thankful that you did this. You also talked about how people in abusive situations can respond very differently. So one person's going to walk away one person chooses to stay. And you had a message that I thought was really, really important. Can you just mention that?
0: Yeah, it actually came from a woman after, I think, the first week of the series. um, Wow, really strong, capable, accomplished woman who later in years, too, and just it all came back, right? the voice of her father. And she had just thanked our church for doing it and she said just remember if just one person's story is different because of this series like it is one of the best things you've ever done as pastors. You know, if you can save just one. So it was like like that complex where we just were heartbroken about all of it, the massive numbers, how do we fix it? But man, what well, think of the Good Shepherd, right? Just just one. Like, that matters so much to Jesus. And so maybe my series didn't fix abuse in our community or in our church. But if there's one person who escaped, one person who healed, one person who stopped being angry at God, one person who believed that they were beautiful because of Jesus in the in the eyes of our Father, like that, that's like, well done. It was worth it. Praise God. So, yeah, we don't have to fix it. We just gotta do what we can and be faithful.
1: And in fact, I think we'd be silly to think that we could fix everything. So I'm glad that you said that. I think at the very least, at the very least, and I think these messages are gonna do so much more than this, but at the very least, I think you're opening up a platform for some very difficult conversations to start taking place. And that's where you can get to a place of healing, where you can get to a place of change. And so I just really, really appreciate that you were willing to do this. I appreciate that Time of Grace is willing to air it. I think that's just huge.
0: Yeah. Amen. So thank you. You are welcome. So that was a lot of questions. A lot of great questions. Man, thank you so much for taking some quantity time here. Um, I know you didn't just show up to record this. Uh, I can just tell you, you put some real emotion and thought and personal experience into writing these questions. So I appreciate you. Uh, if you or someone you know has been through abuse and you're looking for help and healing, uh, we at Time of Grace would love to be able to help you walk through that. So just go to our website, timeofgrace.org slash abuse and you'll find a list of great resources we put together for that very purpose. And now finally, as we've been talking about abuse, um, Time of Grace is not just airing these messages, but we have a resource called How to Heal. And so, if you want to learn more about abuse, or if you've been through it and you're just looking for a good grace based, love saturated resource to help you, um, if someone in your life you suspect has been through abuse or, or you know it, this can be a great resource and we'd love to help you to heal and to be a helper of other people's healing too. So make sure you track that down on our website as well. Um, just a reminder too, you if you're listening out there, if you haven't gotten to hear Amber's amazing teaching, her podcast called Little Things uh, gets released every Sunday. Uh, she talks about the little things that we can do in the Christian life that make a big difference as we seek God with our whole heart.
1: And if you have a chance, I would really recommend that you check out my podcast um, with Michelle Markgraf from Kingdom Workers. She has been involved in dealing with abuse victims for years. She is such a wealth of information and offers so much to those who have been abused and also to people who want to walk alongside other people and just be that friend and be there for them. So please check out the episode with Michelle and I on little things.
0: All right, Amber, I think we're ready to land the plane. Do you have any parting words of wisdom for our our devoted listeners?
1: Uh, Just remember that um, whatever's happened and wherever that abuse has come from, um, the pain is not synonymous and it's not from God. You know, I think sometimes when uh, you've had some hurt in the church, people think that maybe God was behind it. Uh, I think it's good to remember God loves you. And he, he wants to help bring you to a place of healing. So that's my last word.
0: Amen. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Well said. Hey, everyone, thanks for listening. Thanks for all of your time and attention. And may God bless you in the days to come.